So welcome to Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. It's a weekly show that goes out over YouTube and as a podcast over all of the major channels. And each week I get to sit with an inspiring person and listen to them tell their story and share it with all of you. This week is no different. I'm really lucky to be joined by Cynthia Wandia. Uh, welcome, Cynthia. Thanks, Craig. Great to and be here. You might notice a brand new format. We're using StreamYard for this uh, for this recording. I hope it works. It's the first time I've used it without adult supervision. So we'll, we'll, we'll play with it. But I'll give uh, Cynthia a quick introduction. Cynthia is the CEO and co-founder of Quara which is a digital banking experience for savings and credit cooperatives. Um, we'll talk about uh, how these structures work. Basically, Sub-Saharan Africa and a lot of Africa and Southeast Asia is unbanked or underbanked, uh, and these financial cooperatives are the sort of substitute for the formal banking system. Um, and Quara provides a beautiful sort of digital experience for both for the cooperative and for the for the members. Uh, Cynthia's got a very impressive set of, set of credentials. She's a graduate of Yale University, uh, graduated with a Bachelor of Science, also did a business bridge program at Tuck Business School, uh, has had uh, a lot of experience with some big name companies like Johnson & Johnson, Ikea, Lehman Brothers, those were mostly finance roles. Uh, then with Eon, the energy company, uh, is now a serial entrepreneur, uh, has uh, been a founder before, Astra Innovations was the name of that company, was a venture developer at FinParks, uh, and does a bunch of stuff outside work as well, which we'll talk about because I think it's absolutely fascinating. Um, Cynthia, you and I met in Lagos, right? We did, <laughs> we did. And um, yeah, maybe uh, let's talk a little bit about how we met and why you were there. So I was uh, attending the uh, Google Immersion uh, program, which was looking to connect African startups with uh, investors, primarily from Europe. Just got to tell our story, uh, speak about the problem we're solving. And I was extremely pleased to see your interest uh, alongside a number of other investors, just to learn more about our business and eventually becoming uh, one of our angel investors. I, I did, I was so impressed. I. Uh, put uh, put my own money uh, into into Quara, uh, and I remember one of the things that I uh, I was super impressed by, other than the business, is your language capability. You speak seven languages. You're able to learn a language really quickly, as I understand it. Uh, I think this you're is in true. Germany right now, right? Yes, I am in Germany, and I can safely say uh, context is is really helpful. So right now, I'm hearing German everywhere. It's very easy to say, you know, Guten Tag, ich wünsche dir alle einen schönen Tag. So wishing you lo a lovely day as you as you watch us. Um, but I've always loved languages and they're kept, kept, they act as a key to uh, unlock your experience in the world um, and to connect with people. So it's seven languages, not counting, uh, let's call them the local languages, uh, like my grandmother's language and so on. Oh, wow. And, and you're based in um, Nairobi mostly, aren't you, in Kenya? Yes, yeah. yes. So the company, we founded it um, in Germany together with a, a German investor, uh, but the primary target market was always um, uh, emerging markets, starting in Kenya, which I was familiar with uh, because I'm from there, um, but with ambitions to grow globally. 
and you split your time uh, between Nairobi and I think Berlin, isn't it? You're in Berlin. Yes. Yeah, yes. Wonderful, wonderful place. Well, um, super impressive. I'm, I, I speak one other language other than English poorly. And uh, so it always uh, I find it completely impressive that uh, people like you can learn languages so quickly. Uh, you've also got a lot of outside interests. You're an international election observer for the country of Venezuela and also for Cambodia. What got you into that? So it came out of um, being a member of the Yale International Relations Association. And that just brings together people interested in how the world works and why it works the way it does. Um, coming from a country that has had various experiments with uh, with democracy, shall I say. Um, I've always been keen to just understand citizen engagement in elections. And when the opportunity came to uh, first go to, I believe it was Cambodia first and then Venezuela, um, I took, I jumped at it. Um, and it's very interesting to see how how countries uh, treat this process. Um, and we were quite privileged to be able to observe and share our thoughts on it. Um, and I hope to continue engaging in that part of, um, of, of the political sphere uh, as long as I can. Not supervising the US presidential elections then? I think that one's a little uh, more <laughs> controversial. Indeed <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, let's let's change gears and talk about business. You're a serial entrepreneur, a very impressive founder and uh, co-founder and CEO. What drew you into business in the first place? Because you were a finance professional for many years, weren't you? Mm -hmm. I think once you, uh, my exposure to finance uh, showed me, and it was a small window into the world of, uh, of business, so to speak. So it's a small part of business but you start to see how the different parts of a business come together to generate, for example, a, um, a bottom line. And I was always impressed by the ability of business to uh, solve a problem successfully and um, let's say die a natural death if it was not uh, doing so. And I think that check and balance is what uh, made me think that combining business with a meaningful or a social uh, problem would yield a higher success rate if we found the right solution and would yield a much needed death rate, let's say, if, if we were wrong. Well, I'm, I'm hoping very much as one of your angel investors, we don't get in, uh, in, in a pre premature death on Guara. Uh, and I'm pretty positive we won't. Tell us a bit about, first of all, the market context. And uh, for those who may be unfamiliar, what is a uh, savings and credit cooperative, ASACO. Mm -hmm. So a savings and credit cooperative is this um, incredible idea uh, starting off usually from a group of people who know each other, who uh, start to pool their savings together in a shared pot. Um, and that pot becomes available when one of the members requires um, any additional capital than they'd be able to raise uh, at a go. And it can start off as small as 10 members. And this concept that has been around for hundreds of years uh, can bring people together who have a shared bond and grow to the extent that uh, in Kenya, for example, you see savings and credit cooperatives uh, for certain groups like teachers uh, growing to over a million members. And at that point, with that level of capital, uh, they can uh, compete with, let's say, or rival uh, some of the financial institutions. 
Now, because of the community mindset, they get started wherever people need them. So their reach is usually much uh, wider than commercial banks. And uh, the members are the shareholders. So the cooperative always acts in their interests and is in its essence a nonprofit. At the end of the year, all profit is returned to the members. And we just think it's one of the most sustainable ways to provide um, finance, financial opportunities, across markets, developing, developed uh, economies. Um, but in emerging markets, we find them uh, not having been able to capture the value of uh, technology. And so we just committed to doing what we can uh, to help them turn into digital banks. What is it about Africa uh, and parts of Southeast Asia and other parts that, that have cooperatives? You know, I, I grew up in New Zealand, I live in the UK. The idea of a financial cooperative really isn't familiar. You know, I'm used to having a bank. Mm -hmm. uh, why, why did they come about? I'd actually um, say that this this concept came about even in across all markets. Um, it's just that they're less recognizable or differentiated in developed economies. So in the UK, uh, you might know of a community bank in the US and Canada. They're known as credit unions. Um, from the outside, they might look very much like commercial banks. They've got a lot of infrastructure, ATMs, they give you a card, you've got internet mobile banking. So from afar, you might not recognize certain um, aspects of it. That differential is just much greater in emerging markets. So there, the commercial banks uh, typically serve corporate customers and high net worth individuals um, and are able to invest in infrastructure much faster. And the corporate, the cooperatives are left a bit behind to to be much more local and much more undigitized. But if you look in Germany, in the Netherlands, um, as I said, in the U.S., there are these credit unions, these group um, institutions. And if you dig a little bit deeper, you'll find they typically have incredible customer service, uh, member attention, uh, fantastic rates, um, and overall uh, still provide a. A more profitable experience for the members than than your average commercial bank. So uh, hiding in plain sight, perhaps everywhere, and give us Absolutely. a give us a, yeah, give us a feel of the scale. Um, let's start with Kenya. What what sort of um, capital is is circulating in cooperatives like this? Yes. Yeah, so for for institutions that sort of lay low, uh, as we say, um, they have an incredibly impressive uh, share of market. So it said that up to a third of the country's savings are held in savings cooperatives and almost a half of the GDP of Kenya passes through uh, cooperatives. Uh, Kenya is the largest market for cooperatives with about over 5,000 registered cooperatives um, in Africa. But uh, when we look at the global scale, uh, Africa is, uh, holds about 10% of the assets uh, in cooperatives that we see in Southeast Asia and also in Latin America. So uh, plenty of room to grow. Um, and what we just want to make sure is we close this differential gap in technology so that um, cooperatives can continue to attract the more millennial mobile first individuals um, that make up the 77% you know, of Africans who are under 35. Right. And uh, yeah, I, I think I remember, if I remember your pitch, it was something like 9 billion of capital in circulation in Kenya alone. And, yes, uh, USD, and that's, that's quite significant. Yeah, and uh, even more in uh, regions like Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a huge market, and 
um, interesting that they're sort of hiding in plain sight in developed economies, um, more common than we perhaps think, or certainly that I think. Uh, but what a what a massive uh, massive opportunity, um, and and why is it that, I guess, formal banks um, or traditional banks, I should say, aren't as common or prevalent in places like sub-Saharan Africa? What is, what is it about the uh, countries and the economy in that area? Mm -hmm. So initially, it has a lot to do with the cost to serve. Um, if you had to, as a bank, uh, pull the infrastructure, let's say, to remote areas, uh, these are still countries where the city is the magnet for employment and for jobs and so on. So people move to the city. Uh, there's not that much of a distributed economy across uh, the countries. So setting up um, multiple branches across the countries could be very expensive. And even when it's done, it just means there's a higher cost to, um, to serving the, the customer. But on top of that, uh, when you look at the regulations, um, banks have to meet uh, extremely high prudential guidelines. Um, and that means even when it comes to supplying uh, credit facilities, you know, the checks and balances required at, at a bank level are, are just much higher. Um, and then you take a person who has uh, no assets, possibly not even um, easily accessible registration documents, uh, and they need financial services as well. Legally, um, the commercial bank might not be able actually to serve them, right? If you can't produce a national ID or birth certificate and so on. And even though these are all, um, you know, rights, citizen rights, uh, not everybody has access to these kind of documentation and therefore cannot access services from, from commercial banks. So it comes back to, you know, also this communal mindset, um, at least I can speak to in Africa and Kenya, where you know um, the people around you and they're willing to vouch for you um, and get you going. So the requirements at the cooperative level are less, uh, they're less strict. And because you can get started with no asset or no collateral and start to use your savings as collateral over time, it becomes a very um, inclusive way to get financial services because you can start with nothing and over time really build up um, an asset base, uh, a network of people who would guarantee you if you need uh, additional capital. And over time, you can participate in investments made by the cooperative um, for which you, you get a share of the returns. Okay. And I, I think you can also borrow money. Is, is that right? Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the main features, you'd say, because they're savings and credit. And so they work on the basis of uh, savings-backed loans. So first you have to save, which already supports um, more financial stability, even if it takes time. They encourage savings as low as um, $5 um, a month even, just to get you started. And then at some point when you are ready to borrow, you can either borrow the amount equivalent to your savings, or uh, if you need a bit more than that, you can borrow up to three times your savings if you get other people within the cooperative to guarantee you. So all of a sudden your social capital becomes, um, you know, a legitimate asset that you can use uh, to, to leverage. And that makes all the difference when trying to raise a bit more capital, let's say for a business or um, even in an emergency or even to make a longer term investment, like uh, build a home. Right. And 
uh, what would be the average size of a loan for those people who do uh, borrow? And obviously there'd be a huge range, but give us a sense of the scale of borrowings if, if you're a farmer or a nurse or a teacher. Mm -hmm. So you'll have different types of, of products. Um, there'll be an emergency sort of 30-day loan, no interest, and that's just to get you um, out of any trouble. That could be anywhere from the range of uh, 50 to 200 pounds, uh, maybe a little bit higher at the most. Um, and then normal loans with a tenure of, let's say, a year could be in the range of five to 10,000 uh, pounds at the higher range. And this is really able to support um, a small business person to get started on some assets and maybe inventory uh, and so on. And then some of the cooperatives will offer slightly longer tenures, like a four-year loan, um, if, if there's really like a housing project being uh, undertaken. But most of the loans are less than, less than five, five thousand pounds uh, at the higher end and 50 to 100 pounds at the at the lower end right so really uh, for the most part what we would typically recognize it, it certainly in developed economies is, is microfinance um, and um, the the service you, you offer perhaps is best explained by starting uh, with what a financial cooperative might look like pre-digitization what what you know when you walk into one of these you know explain the setup how do they work mm -hmm. pre-digitization right so they can be um say it's a employer-based cooperative or it's a, just a special interest group cooperative uh having started out from a group of people who know each other they might be keeping uh physical files uh per per member uh, with some copies of their identification and just sort of a running record of any um, savings that have been issued, a receipt, um, you know, slip, a deposit slip, um, all filed. And of course that becomes very vulnerable to a number of things, um, the destruction, fire, loss, and so on. Um, at some point they can move on to investing in, you know, the one laptop, uh, some Excel, being able to keep a couple of spreadsheets going. But once again, like the interaction with the member means um, it's very high touch. Uh, either they have to congregate once a month and, and do their, their books, or uh, there's a lot of calling and, and uh, back and forth. Um, when they grow a little bit bigger, they might be able to bring on, let's say an individual developer, help build some custom software that just sort of helps reconcile things. But there's always a disconnect uh, between where the uh, financial um, management is happening and where the member is. And the member is, where the member is is where the financial services are needed. So um, beyond that, uh, that disconnect is what leads to the cooperative not being able to meet the members' needs when they arise, and then the members being forced, in some cases, to go for less um, friendly or more predatory experiences that just provide an instant uh, financing. So this is what we, where we see the real um, issue uh, and where we saw an opportunity to just empower the cooperative to meet its members' needs instantly. Right. Right. Effectively, what you're talking about is loan sharking, payday loans and extremely high interest rates. And a cooperative in that sense is not only inclusive, but also uh, reasonable. I'm going to uh, try and add a screen share into this sort of all sorts of experiments going on today. Um, so this gives you a feel for the contrast. Right. So there's a nice little screenshot there of what the I guess the member 
uh, would see mm -hmm. um, when they adopt Quara. And it looks to me, I'm a Revolut customer actually, and it looks to me very much like the Revolut uh, interface, very modern. Uh, and I guess you can do all of your transactions in this way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what we that's what we wanted to deliver. We we built Quora to be able to turn a cooperative into a, a digital bank, because that is the experience that individuals are looking for. It's what they expect. Um, even the unbanked, you know, they're uh, interacting with modern experiences. They use WhatsApp. They might have a Gmail account. They certainly use social media, and therefore, um, you know, when they move from that experience to a completely offline or broken a financial experience it becomes easy for a uh the historical loan sharks or payday loans that have always existed but that have now been able to also harness uh, technology and you know deliver an, a loan in five minutes um to to capture their their attention and their need and uh that's what we do we basically build this experience that's uh world class and give it to uh, give it to cooperatives so they can continue their ethos, uh, but you know, in the in the twenty first century. Well, it's an amazing business, and it certainly opened my eyes to uh, the possibilities and and the um, I guess the potential to do social good uh, while you're doing business at the at the same time. I'll leave you with the last word. Uh, Maybe people watching this who are coming out of college or school. Uh, thinking about their next, um, you know, their next step, or people who are perhaps at some sort of intersection in their in their lives, um, what advice would you have for them? You with me, Cynthia? Yes, I am. Did you hear my question? I missed the question. There was a bit of a. So my question is, you know, if you're if you're a viewer, you're perhaps coming out of school or university, maybe changing careers. What advice would you have for them with all of your experience? What advice? Well, I would say the being open to try things is is my yeah, it's my mantra. So uh, what you don't know uh, but seems exciting, give it a give it a chance. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot that can be learned by doing. I think even much more than uh, maybe even by hearing about things. So, if something piques your interest, um, give it a shot. I do think we are in an era of um, having multiple careers and multiple interests, and all of them sort of feeding each other in a way that you might not even understand while it's happening. Uh, but it starts to make sense over time. Um, currently, my um, by some of the experiences that I had long uh, um, I think I'm losing you a bit Craig but let me know if you heard that yeah it's breaking up a little I think the um, the essence of what you're saying is give it a go uh, yeah. don't be afraid uh, to try the unknown and you're certainly um, you know, a walking example of that. Uh, Cynthia Wandia, thank you for joining me this morning. You're a, an inspiration. Thank you, Craig. Uh, thank you for having me and uh, speak to you very soon. Thank you.